0: entertainment sports culture
1: this is Raleigh Co. Radio podcast presented by Raleigh and Company
2: don't waste your time being angry when a moment's better with a smile if you feel your time's been wasted wasted here for a while standing
0: Well, welcome to uh, episode four of Spooning with Dimitri. I'm Dimitri Ivanis, your host, and today, for the first time... We get to delve into the world of wine a little bit, as uh, my guest is Crawford Lavoie. He is the general manager and beverage director at Piedmont. Uh, you might have seen Piedmont. It's in downtown Durham, uh, right there across from Central Park, where the Food Truck Rodeo always happens in Durham. That's how I discovered the place. Uh, came upon it um, when I went to uh, check out a Food Truck Rodeo one week. Crawford uh, is a, a great, great interview. This is not only... Uh, talking about food and his relationship with food and his career, but this is a story of how Piedmont went from struggling uh, to enjoying the status it does today. And another reason I like talking to Crawford, well, a couple things. Number one, he's super easy to talk to because he is a, uh, a debate coach, so I, I don't know, he claims he did not have the story planned out in his head, but I, I felt like the whole time I was talking to him, we were going on a journey together. Uh, so that made the uh, conversation a lot of fun. The other thing that made it a lot of fun is if I were uh, gay and more handsome, uh, Crawford and I would be the exact same guy. Uh, you're gonna hear in this interview there are a lot of similarities, not only uh, in terms of where we come from, but in terms of how we got to where we are. Uh, so there was a there was a um, there was a connection there that also made this conversation uh, really easy. But uh, again, I think the thing to take away from this is. Crawford is a really smart dude on what turns out to be a really new journey for him, not only in a new place, but uh, as you'll hear, uh, Piedmont is the first restaurant that is completely in his hands, his hands and and Chef Ben Adams, uh, who was supposed to join us but overslept. Um, But no matter, Crawford uh, was a great guest. The song that uh, I picked today... Uh, what song did I pick today? I think I picked uh, At the Foot of Canal Street by John Boutte uh, From Crawford's native uh, New Orleans And uh, also just, I, I think, a good song for this time of year As uh, Mardi Gras is in full swing down on the Gulf Coast So enjoy my chat with Crawford Lavoie on this week's episode of Spooning with Dimitri
2: What will they wear? Will the band be playing? What will the people be saying? Your father lie there Does your mother pray I'm gonna put on my golden crown At the foot of Canal Street When the riverbanks are overflowing And the streetcar has seen its day When all is gone The plantations trim a bucare. Be swinging
1: so, I music. am originally from the state of Louisiana and uh-huh. Alabama. So I kind what of parts? um So, born in Alexandria, Louisiana. Okay. My family lives in a small town called Deritter. Okay. Went to LSU, so I claimed Baton Rouge. Spent four years in New Orleans. Right. So, that's kind of why I just lumped that all together and just say, yeah, I'm from Louisiana. Um, and what part of Alabama? Um, Birmingham. Okay. Um, the Vestavia Hills, which is one of yeah, those yeah. southern suburbs, but. What you know? Another kind of great food city on yeah. the Gulf Coast.
0: All right. So born in Slidell, uh, grew up in Mobile, uh, went to school in Tuscaloosa, uh, and then moved to Birmingham. So I, much like you say, I'm from Louisiana. I mm-hmm. say I'm from Alabama. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: they're they're two great places to be to be from.
0: Right. Absolutely. Especially if you go into the world of food, food and drink.
1: You can eat your way across both (laughs) states and never have even like made a dent. Yeah. So
0: So where were you when you started in the restaurant business?
1: I I was in Baton Rouge. Um, I, I was about to graduate from LSU. I had a kind of an idea what I wanted to do professionally. But there was a twofold problem. One, the person I was dating at the time was younger than me. Mm -hmm. And and what I wanted to kind of go into required me to go to grad school outside. So I was kind of a little bit gun shy to make those, you know, adult decisions um, to get away from my comfort zone. And, And in a way... That was a bad thing and a good thing. Mm-hmm. So like two weeks before my college graduation, I took a job as a busboy at Fleming's Prime Steakhouse and Wine Bar.
0: Oh, what, so so what was the plan? What was it you wanted to do?
1: Uh, I I had developed an interest while at LSU in higher education administration. So in student affairs, you know, in kind of the other classroom. And I think that's always been something that's passionate to me because of who was in my life, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was the not necessarily the people who were teaching me in classrooms directly that helped me grow up. It was the people around me, the administrators, both in sure. high school or the extracurricular directors in high school and college that really led to me to like mature as an individual. And so that was something I, I, I was really passionate about. but. LSU at the time didn't have a program, I would have had to move, and so I I was a little bit gun-shy. Yeah. In the end, you know, the story ends really well, um, that this kind of leap of faith actually was perfect for me and getting me to start in the restaurant business. I certainly had that, like, whole mental conflict of, like, here I am about to graduate. Right. And and I'm, like, the bottom of the totem pole, (laughs) like, I haven't succeeded at all. Yeah. Um,
0: And not even about to graduate with, like, a hospitality degree. I assume you're getting an education degree at the Uh, time?
1: Political science, actually. Um, About the time I developed, like, an idea of what I really wanted to do in college, it was kind of too late to, like, maneuver out Mm -hmm. um, without, like, elongating my stay in Baton Rouge much longer. Right. Um, So, you know... That's the beautiful thing about grad school is you don't necessarily have to have, like, a base degree yeah to pursue something else. But started at Fleming's, and in this whole time having this conflict, started to really understand service. And, and was lucky enough to have people placed around me who understood what, like, guest-centered service was all about. Mm-hmm. And in turn with that, the wine director at the time kind of took me under her wing, and I started to learn. I had no knowledge whatsoever. So really just a beginner's knowledge of wine, starting to understand, Mm. starting to drink it, starting to, you know, look at the nuances. And I'm a history buff as well. And so wine is one of those beautiful things where the element of history and the element of culture like really intersect with it. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, I would imagine it probably leads to or has led to a lot of travel for you too, right? I,
1: I, I wish it led to a lot more travel yeah. than it does. <laughs> um, I, I travel much more in my mind about uh-huh. it than I do in reality. <laughs> um, but I think that's just the, you know, the nature of the restaurant business. Yeah. Um, so while still in Baton Rouge, I was afforded the opportunity to take a management position at a wine bar that was opening.
0: huh. Um, oh, so the, the rise then to, from, from Busboy on up was not uh, through Fleming's, was not through the same organization. It,
1: I, I, I started to move up and, and got to server in Fleming's mm-hmm. and wanted to take a second job, you know, wanted to continue knowledge outside of that work environment. Did the two jobs for a while thing. Um, and then once I really started to succeed in my other position, just serving in the swine bar, they knew that they needed someone to come on board and be more of a manager type. And so right. they kind of reached out to me. And, and frankly, I was way too young, way too inexperienced. Um, but somebody took a chance. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what you know, everyone is looking for in a way. Yeah. So I, I took this position and had it for a year before I moved to New Orleans um, and 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 I will never forget. I didn't know a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, was probably really bad at it, looking <laughs> back, and made a lot of mistakes. Sure. But I think it was kind of like the live action, you know, the live action rounds, the sure. live action role. Yeah, play learning of under it, fire. That I got to like really understand what I was doing correctly and what I was doing horribly yeah.
0: wrong. So what? Were you interested in wine at all before uh, the Fleming's wine director took an interest in you? Not really. Not even – was it one of those things? And I'm asking this as someone that also went to an SEC school. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to drink whatever is available? Was Amen. Yeah, okay. So that was your – your, your drink of choice was whoever had what?
1: My drink of choice was – changed a lot, uh, <laughs> much like my – you know, I, I rem- and it really was. It was more of kind of a crime of opportunity, absolutely, <laughs> um, than it was a crime of good planning. Yeah. So. In the end, like this wasn't a planned thing to start to understand wine. It wasn't a planned thing to start to develop a passion for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when the time came to leave Baton Rouge, my partner had matriculated through school, had taken the. Um, MCAT had gotten accepted into LSU Med in New Orleans right. and so we knew we were moving and we
0: have a lot in common because my wife is a doctor too and I went through all this with her.
1: <laughs> yeah it, it's one of those <laughs> scary things where you're just kind of like moving through the motions doing what you can right um, the whole time kind of being supportive and, and at the same time trying to have your own career and, sure. and that's kind of I think been always the very interesting struggle but part of the the real kind of beauty of it as well Mm -hmm. um about a month before we moved to new orleans a, a wine rep came to me and was like what are you doing with your life and i was like i'm moving to new orleans he was like right you have no job no place to live no idea what's going on you are about to have a huge problem and i was like oh you're actually right. Yeah. And he was like, great. So let's take care of this. You're going to call this guy. He's got an apartment. You're going to go look at it. You'll love it. It's right next to this restaurant. You'll go eat there. You'll have a great meal. You'll decide you want to rent the apartment. Then, do you want to work for Donald Link or John Besh? And I was like, wow. John Besh. <laughs> and he was like, great. You'll call this guy, and you will meet him at this restaurant, and you will have an interview. Um and that's really kind of how it worked out. Yeah. Um, so I was back at the bottom of the totem pole at Restaurant August, um, and got hired as a back waiter, which is their fancy terminology for bus, bus boy. boy. Right. Um, <laughs> there's a commonality here, and so I started there um, in August of 2009, uh-huh. and I thought that I had made the biggest mistake of my life. Yeah. I had never been in a restaurant that had the history um, demanded the attention to detail Mm -hmm. um, and that really actually required you to like pay your dues yeah
0: Um, yeah especially in a town like New Orleans where you have so many guys like that's one of the few places left certainly in America where it's all mercenaries yeah but also there's these group there's this group that they were born to be waiters. I mean, they've been waiters forever and ever. Oh, you
1: put out an ad, and it's amazing. Yeah. You get people who are like, I spent five years at Galatoire's. I spent seven years at Adno's. I was at Antoine's for um, 15 years. I've been with Emerald, Besh, Link, Susan Spicer, and you're like, is there anyone you haven't worked for (laughs) in this city? And... Do you have any bad habits? Yeah, all of my habits are bad. Great. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I've chosen to live in New Orleans. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, So that, in a way, it is like the most beautiful place for service because even from, you know, the three 200-year-old restaurants that are downtown where people start there when they're 15, Mm -hmm. and they're now waiting tables there, and they're 60. Yeah. and they've gone to the same restaurant every day for 40 years and served almost the same food and they're amazing at it. Um, that fascinates me. But I think at the same time, the thing that, especially in a post-Katrina world that makes New Orleans so fantastic is that its arms are always open. Right. Um, and that was the thing that I started to notice is that it wanted to, you know, if you came from working for Stit and Hastings and Birmingham, and it to come to new Orleans it started to accept you into the service culture i think mm-hmm. that wasn't there before the storm yeah. it was very much a you know this is new orleans we have to protect it so the service industry is going to be new orleanians mm-hmm. with a history instead of like buying into this whole idea of like in a way immigrant meaning just from the outside sure. letting them in and, um And I remember the first time at August, I was like, I'm so excited about tonight's LSU game. And I can tell you it was LSU versus Washington in Washington. I'll never forget that. And the guy turned to me and was like, I hate you. I'm a Tulane fan. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what is the purpose of being a Tulane fan? (laughs) And, like, it started, like, a huge fight. And I had never been in that environment before. Um, And at the same time, to, like, get to work, with someone like Besh and some of the people that he had around him at that time. And, and at that point, I think he had five restaurants just in New Orleans.
0: It was fascinating. And what was his, what was his day-to-day like? I mean, that, like, how often did you actually see him in your restaurant?
1: I, I, I mean, John is someone that, you know, he wants to be in his restaurants. Yeah. Um, he is not someone that wants to sit up in an office and dictate policy Mm -hmm. that drives him insane. Um, I would say, you know, when I started, he was in August maybe two or three times a week. Oh really? And that doesn't necessarily mean that he was there during service and he was there during service at times. And you know, one of the things that you learned from him without ever directly having him like, be like, watch what I'm doing Mm -hmm. is that he was never grabbing control he was always
0: yeah that was that was actually a question i had so what was it like then when he was there during service what was the chef's role when when john besh was in the house Uh,
1: certainly i think that you know besh you know besh is a non-commissioned marine officer in desert storm he Mm -hmm. understands the chain of command he believes in it that's how he operates so you know he may stand there fully suited up i mean coat garcon apron ready to go and just watch his chef de cuisine run the kitchen mm-hmm. he may make small tweaks he may walk on the back line and just watch line cooks cook and maybe offer a suggestion um in this kind of teaching role and i think that was always the thing that was beautiful to me and then once he felt confident that things were going well there he went right into the dining room mm-hmm. right to shake hands and and not to You know, this is certainly after Iron Chef America. This is after Top Chef Masters. This is, you know, right before my New Orleans comes out as a cookbook. Yeah. He is really about to open three more restaurants in the next calendar year. Wow. And it was never about, look at me, look what I'm doing. It was always this level of thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. Without you being here, eating my food and smiling... We wouldn't have anything to do. we would be we would be broke, yeah and, and I think he understood that one, from a you know coming from a more simple family in Meridian and living in Slidell to becoming the chef that he is today, um, and having in a way the empire he has in this in the city of New Orleans. but I mean, this is a man who bought Restaurant August from its partners. A couple of weeks before Hurricane Katrina, mm-hmm. and lost everything, and worked from nothing, to com- to get it back to where it is.
0: Yeah, and, and just sort so I can give the the mm-hmm. listeners a little background that may not be familiar um, with John Besh. Uh, you know, you heard uh, Crawford mention my New Orleans, the cookbook. Uh, he is up to what seven restaurants now, oh, within God. within the city, and then I think he's up to seven or eight in the
1: city and now has a cooperation restaurant in the city of Baltimore with Aaron Sanchez. Okay, He has a restaurant on the North Shore called La Provence which was a restaurant that was given to him by mm-hmm. a good friend of his, a mentor of his mm-hmm. um, after the storm when um, Chef Cara Giorgio knew that he was quite ill and
0: yeah wouldn't w-
1: be able to continue running that restaurant. So, and
0: So John has won awards for not only his restaurants but Two cookbooks, right, have have won the Beard Award for best cookbook of the year. Uh, right, at, at least my New Orleans did. I know that for sure.
1: I actually, my New Orleans, won an IACP award, but I believe lost the Beard Award okay. to Donald Links' okay. cookbook in the same year. Okay,
0: um, but John Bash has been on television. I mean, you you know Crawford just listed a bunch of the credits. Now he's a regular on uh, that show, Hungry Investors. And the interesting thing to hear you talk about him and and the way he interacts with customers is here's a guy that not only has accomplished just about everything an aspiring chef or restaurateur would set out to, but he is also um, he's he's a really striking guy physically in that he like when he walks into a room, he's a very gregarious person. He is uh, a very handsome dude, which you don't expect out of a lot of chefs. Uh, and, and so th- I, I don't know how to say it. Like, Besh uh, is just such a great ambassador for someone who is going to your level, who is, has aspirations to get to the level you're at now. Such a great example to learn from because he's everything you don't think of when you think of the stereotype of the stuffed shirt over accomplished chef.
1: Well, I think, you know, certainly in in a way how restaurants are portrayed today on TV, and, and certainly outside of some TV shows, but, you know, not to name names, but I'll name some. You know, you <laughs> Gordon Ramsay. Sure. We have this idea that he is possibly the scariest man ever. Right. And that's how all chefs are, throwing plates, you know, Attacking you, pushing, screaming, and first off, that was nothing like John ever was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always this humble approach to teaching and this humble approach to thanking people for being part of what he was trying to do. Um, at the same time, I met Gordon Ramsay and waited on him at Restaurant August, and and. He's not like that at all. I was all. about to say, if you ever saw he's the British... Paid, he's just paid thousands of dollars <laughs> to just act that way.
0: Right. If you but, ever saw the BBC version of, uh, of uh, Hell's Kitchen... Oh, he
1: cried more times. Yeah. Oh, no. And it was the BBC version of...
0: Um, uh, oh restaurant shoot. Nightmares. Yes.
1: Um, kitchen Nightmares, where he, I think, cried more mm-hmm. over not getting people to understand what he wanted
0: them to. Sure. Less of an asshole and more of like a Big Brother type.
1: Yes, certainly. Um, and just someone who had this wealth of knowledge and wanted to impart it on other yeah. people. And I think that that's really, at the end of the day, what John's MO was and what he had created in his chef de cuisines, mm-hmm. there, in his GMs. you know, When I was in like really the thick of things at Restaurant August, the chef de cuisine and the GM were brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, the GM was the older brother. Um, Mike was the chef de cuisine. They had been around the best organization for years. Jeff had worked for Emerald when Delmonico opens and could talk to you about working for Lagasse and just make you laugh to no end about those stories. But, and, and Mike was actually training in Germany when Katrina happened and came back and got back in the August kitchen and then eventually took over the, re- the restaurant for mm-hmm. John for the most part. And I think that's why John was able to focus on opening more restaurants and you know, bring some of his time in August down is because he trusted the ambassadors he had there working for him. And and it was amazing not just to learn from Besh, but then to learn from the Galatas who had spent so much longer time with Besh learning from him and mm-hmm. what they could impart in you. And, you know, Mike was almost the same way. Um, you know, and when Mike was in the dining room he was thanking everyone. And yeah. and it showed me something. It showed me that this whole idea of running a restaurant is not about me. It's not about what I want to do or what our kitchen wants to do or what our philosophy is or what our view on the market is. It is solely about providing a place to bring people in. Then it's all about retaining those people. (laughs) And a huge amount of that is knowing what they want and providing that but at the same time I think being gracious Mm -hmm. that people are enjoying what you are doing. It's not time for a pat on the back. Like, Oh, someone liked our dish. I'm going to (laughs) pat myself on the back. No, you hope they do that. Right. But now you, you know, want to thank them enough to where they want to come in and try something else. And it's this whole idea of building trust with guests Mm -hmm. that really develops, not just regulars, but word of mouth, um, develops a, a sense of, trust in the community in your restaurant. And I think, you know, in, in taking on a project like Piedmont, that is a huge part of it because when we found, when we got here, we found that there was such a lack of trust in the community over our restaurant. We joked for months that Piedmont was like the cheating girlfriend you kept taking <laughs> back and was like, baby, I'll never do it again. And then they just went back out and cheated on you. Yeah. And like, well, I guess I'll go try to eat there again.
0: So, so then give me the history of Piedmont. It sounds like you weren't here from the, from the get-go.
1: Not at all. Um, actually, so um, my partner finished med school at LSU mm-hmm. um, and started the match process, which you know a little bit yeah. about. It's probably the most archaic, good old boy um, <laughs> process yeah, one can find. Um, you come interview here, you rank me, I'll rank you, and a computer will figure out where you go and on one day out of the year we'll hand you a piece of paper and <laughs> tell it tells you where
0: you're moving. Congrats. For your part for my wife it was St. Patrick's Day of O five. What was it for your partner?
1: Um I don't remember the day exactly. It was it was in it's always in the spring. I think it was in that kind of late uh-huh. March. Um it was in the Superdome. I'll remember that as really? a Saints fan. It was in like this club room in the Superdome that had really bad columns in it. So like you also <laughs> had to like move. Um and they like randomized his last name starts with an A, so I was hoping they were alphabetical. We could just get in, get out.
3: They were
0: like, the same way with uh, with my with my wife.
1: No, they had to randomize it. So like we were like in the last like quarter of the names called. Yeah. Um
0: did they do the thing where um you, when you went up, you put a dollar in the bucket and the yes. last person's damn I was,
1: I was, man, I was hoping for that money. You also had to give <laughs> a, and it, and it's not just about doctors giving money to get money. It was, we also had to give a canned good. It was oh, also really? a food drive. Ah,
0: so um, you were much better people in Louisiana than we um, were in Alabama.
1: Well, that, that's not hard to understand at all. <laughs> um, so we we had he had interviewed both at duke and chapel hill mm-hmm. we knew we and in the condition that healthcare was in in the state of louisiana in 2013 sorry i don't math well <laughs> um you know the situation in healthcare in louisiana is very dire at this time mm-hmm. um you know Charity Hospital has still not opened after Katrina. It will not reopen. Yeah. They are building two new, uh, two new hospitals, a new teaching hospital for LSU and a new Veteran Affairs Hospital, which will be an amazing complex. Um, they're still a couple of years away. And so it was this kind of idea of, for the best of his career, for the, it, it, if we were going to get out, this was the time. Right. I had actually taken a year away from August um, I had left August in 2012 mm-hmm. um, for some personal reasons, but at the same time, I think I had... There comes those times where you have learned all you can learn. right? Um, and I started to anger the people around me, and they mm-hmm. finally actually came to me and said, like...
3: Was it the, was th- it the choice of...
1: It was, it was the, we think you've... It may be time for you to pursue something else. And I was considering that exact thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't mean that I wasn't angry at the time. I was infuriated. Sure. And I can, as all things in my life, they're chronologically ordered by football. That was the LSU Oregon game <laughs> and the Cowboys classic. Um, and I was like, great. <laughs> I ah, to-. the black and highlighter was, yellow Oregon uniform. I was like, ah, oh, I get to go watch the game and I hate you. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was a couple of years later that I realized that Jeff and Mike asking me to leave my position was one of the best things i could yeah. have ever done yeah and, um, and
0: from your standpoint i mean obviously it's different being in new orleans we just talked about these guys that start at restaurants when they're 15 and are still waiters at the same restaurant when they're 60 but for the average person in the restaurant industry it's at three years right at that point for you at august yeah just getting to I mean, like two and three quarters and that felt like a lifetime. yeah there. i mean for the average person in the restaurant industry at one place for almost three years is maybe a couple lifetimes
1: yeah and I think that, like, certainly the volatility of, like, the atmosphere at August and at other, like, restaurants like that where the menu is constantly changing, mm-hmm. that is not what is happening at the restaurants where people stay there for 40 years. Right. The, the Emeralds, the Delmonicos, the August, the Revolution, all of those, like, top-tier fine dining restaurants that exist in New Orleans now are operating in a way on a different playing field from the Antoine's, the Arnauds, and the Galatoire's. Those are fantastic restaurants as well. But some of the tradition and history there, I think personally kind of planes that out. Sure. Um, so I think that was why two and three quarters years, August felt like a lifetime is because like, I remember when I started there, I learned like the, the degustation menu In a day seven courses with wine Mm -hmm. pairings and i walked in the next day and chef was like seven new dishes here we go and i was like oh come on this is (laughs) this is unfair i just got here i literally just learned what's going on i still don't even know my name actually (laughs) you know i have forgotten my name and now you're changing all these dishes but you know i had left august i had taken a year to go teach Mm -hmm. um And I've always stayed close to education in a way. Even when I was at Restaurant August, I was volunteering my time to debate programs in the city of New Orleans when I wasn't at August. Uh So I spent several years coaching at New Orleans Jesuit, which is one of the oldest schools there, um, and have had friends at the other schools in the area. And so it was perfect to take a year to teach and to coach a program.
0: Um, Coaching what if you don't mind
1: um, so I was coaching competitive high school speech and debate.
0: Oh, that, you just said that. So right. it was something I yeah, did yeah. as a
1: high schooler. In a way, it was, you know, my debate coaches that led to me really loving this whole idea of higher education administration mm-hmm. and the, the, the other classroom for students. Right. And so it was always something I wanted to give back to. And it was always my form of, in a way, especially in New Orleans, because I wasn't getting paid to do it, you know, giving back to the community, being charitable. Um, And so took a year off, but we knew we wanted to leave. And so when we found out we were coming to Durham. um,
0: So he matched at Duke then? He
1: matched at Duke. Um, He had been here. I came sight unseen. Mm -hmm. Certainly knew very little about the area. Knew something about the area, but didn't know a great deal about the area. So we were here in March of 13, looking for a house and it just so happened that like right before we left new orleans i was kind of looking for places to eat and in like some like just like low-key google searches piedmont like came to the top of some searches so i decided we would eat here Mm -hmm. so we ate here the wednesday we were looking at houses um we sat in the dining room right over there it was really cute i kind of felt like it was like a kid whose feet are too big and it was tripping over itself so as you're sitting there as
0: they're serving you um well
1: i'm always anytime i'm in a restaurant my brain is going 100 of miles an yeah, hour yeah. Um, and, and i am picking apart everything and it is hard to turn that off um what's really bad is when you're in restaurants and you hear the kitchen printer going mm-hmm. and you're like we have a ticket oh i'm eating i'm sorry
0: <laughs> <laughs> i won't call that ticket so in. then so then it might not be such a rare thing but uh, you were sitting there eating and feeling like not just, not just experiencing the restaurant, but you were sitting there thinking they need me. I, I I walked away going, well, that was really cute. Um, that was, that
1: was a really cute idea that was horribly executed. (laughs) Um, and I probably didn't think anything else of it. Yeah. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I got to the area and, and this is April. We're not going to move till May or June. Um, and and so I I didn't really think anything of it I had already like secured a position with coaching debate in Durham at Durham Academy Mm -hmm. um through some contacts and and in that week met the head coach here and was able to like secure a position and so it was this kind of like what do I want to do and I think secretly and this has always been a joke in my relationship like I've always joked about. It. I just want to stay home and bake pie, like,
3: right, all day
1: long. Like I love pie, coconut cream pie. I mean, you're you're from Alabama in a way. You know the Jim and Nick's pie. Sure. I want a piece of chocolate pie all the time, <laughs> and not gain a pound. Um, and so I took about a month once we moved here to like run the scene and look for a job, and, and certainly didn't know a lot about the area restaurants. And suddenly, and looking for a job one day, the general manager manager position at piedmont skews up Mm -hmm. i was like oh that place the cute place with the horrible execution yeah perhaps i could put in my application there and the timeline was hilarious because i think i like saw the ad on like a wednesday probably sent it my resume in on that wednesday night Jeff Galata, who was the GM of August still at this time, had like written me like a very lovely mm-hmm. recommendation letter um, that meant a lot to me. And so, you know, I assembled my little packet and I sent it off into the great Craigslist internet universe <laughs> right. never to be heard from again. And like that morning at like eight in the morning my phone rang and it was that,
0: But this is the following morning. This
1: is Thursday morning uh-huh. and, and it's um, Jamie DeMint, who at that time means nothing to me. You know, the name doesn't skew anything. And she's, I'm the owner of Piedmont. I need to get you in there to talk to. I assume you're still in New Orleans. We need to Skype. And I was like, well, I'm actually in Durham. And throughout the course of the day, we like didn't like plan anything. I was leaving on Saturday to go to the beach. So on Friday, if she was like, you just need to go to the restaurant right now and interview with the chef. And I was like, it's a Friday afternoon. Like your chef needs to be prepping. Right. he has some things to do, not interview GM candidates. She was like, I don't care, go. And so I sat in the dining room with Ben Adams, and we had the, one of the most hilarious interviews in the world, mainly because I didn't realize that he was new here. Ah. So I was like, yeah, I ate here in April. Um, this is what I had. This is kind of what I thought. Um, and he was like, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> I got here, like I got my boots on the ground two weeks ago. I've never been an executive chef before. Mm. And I was like, okay, what is your history? And he's like, well, I actually like graduated from UNC in English lit. And I was like, go arts and science majors in the restaurant industry. <laughs> um, and he said, I graduated from UNC in English lit. I moved to New York and worked for Bank of America and financial services for five years. Decided I didn't want a desk job moved to Oregon and decided I'd go to culinary school. And I was like, Oh God. And he was like, so then I've been working around and, you know, went back to Charleston where I'm from. And I worked at McCready's. I worked at Hominy grill. I've been in New Orleans. I've been in LA. I've been in Boston. I've been in Belgium. I've been in Australia. And I was like, You've never been an executive chef? And he's like, nope. And I was like, great. I've never been a general manager. We're going to be like the (laughs) blind. Let's fuck this place up together. (laughs) We're going to be the blind leading the blind, (laughs) kiddo. Um, And I was like, you know, if you could give me some time to think about it, I'd really appreciate it. Um, So Saturday, which was the next day, I left to go to the beach at like 6 in the morning. I literally made it to Greenville, South Carolina, where I was getting gas. And I called Ben and was like, you know what?
0: Let's do this. Um, Holy shit. What beach were you going to?
1: The Gulf Coast. Oh, I mean, (laughs) at that point in time, I like didn't understand North Carolina beaches, so I was like going down to Florida. Um, So I was no, I I don't blame
0: you. I still go to North Carolina beaches and think, what the hell is going on here?
1: Oh no, I would never say that. Um, (laughs) It's such a lovely place. I just don't really like the Atlantic. It's large. Um, The Gulf is warm -er and a little slick now, so you know (laughs) it it comes with its own tanning lotion. And I think the first month of being back at the restaurant really like peeled away the Mm -hmm. band-aids. And that was something like Jeff and Mike and John had always taught me, like, that's what's hard about like changing management is it's not this change in vision. It's finding where the band-aids have been, right? maybe for a couple of weeks, maybe for years and ripping them off. Mm -hmm. And we've all ripped off band-aids. It's not a pleasurable experience. right? Um, it's pulling on hair. You're probably going to lose part of your scab. You're probably going to start bleeding again. It, it, and, and it's very much like that in restaurants when you get on the ground and you're like, what do you mean you don't reconcile your checking account? Why wouldn't you reconcile your checking account? Yeah. Like I learned that by my, my mom taught me that when I was 12. Now I don't do it at home, but you should do it here. <laughs> right. What do, you, what do you mean you don't have a wine that's over $60? What, what, what does the statement, you can't sell a $65 bottle of wine in Durham, actually mean? Certainly you can if you don't have one. Right. So there was this whole like world of like ripping Band-Aids off for a month. Um, Piedmont has been here for seven years. Mm-hmm. It changed ownership three years ago. They installed a chef... And um, who installed his own management team? Um, Certainly, I think the change from Piedmont under Andy and Drew to the new chef was, in a way, poorly received because people get that NIMBY stuff going on. Of course. Don't change my restaurant. Not in my backyard. And, and, and Andy and Drew did something that was revolutionary.
0: Oh, so, uh, you're talking about poorly received by the, the community. community. Yeah. Okay, I thought you meant poorly well, received by in the Well, in a state. way,
1: like, if you have a staple community restaurant that people have been going to do for four years, uh-huh. and then you change it mm-hmm. away from what it was, some people aren't going to be happy with sure. you. And in a way... That was an idea that I kind of highlighted earlier that I think New Orleans lost. This idea of like outside intervention being bad. Mm-hmm. In a way, I think some of that has gone away down there. I think that some of that is still alive and well in, in all of humanity that, you know, like you moved my cheese, <laughs> stop touching my things. Right. And so you know going back and getting here and starting to read old reviews and 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 that's really what i saw is people just weren't jiving with what was going on here and you know when people aren't jiving with what you're doing you can change it or you can advance into the night and you may be advancing to your own demise but at least you're standing by your principles yeah um after a year that chef left and there was kind of some rocky periods But the biggest thing is, one, buying a restaurant is really hard. It's expensive. It puts you into debt.
3: For a long time.
1: For a very long time. And at the same time, mismanagement within the restaurant had led to even more debt. Of course. And to a situation that is very scary, which was there were food purveyors that were not making deliveries to Piedmont because Piedmont couldn't be trusted. Um, And that is a place you don't ever want to be because if you can't get product you can't You don't have, have a restaurant. restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> um, the whole idea is that something has to come here. So there was this whole idea of like now I have to ask the general manager rebuild the restaurant. And that's going to entail one rebuilding trust with the community, two getting the staff to trust me that had been through so much change. Yeah. That they were unwilling to trust anyone.
0: How many of them, or what percentage of them, were there from the changeover from the last chef to now with you and Ben?
1: Um, from there were probably two or three that had been here since our first chef in this ownership mm-hmm. got here. But I also was walking into a situation where. 2 weeks prior to me starting the executive chef had been let go right. and Ben had come in very little explanation on the part of the ownership which in a way that's fine like I don't expect the owners to have to like justify their decisions to everyone sure. you know if we had to justify all of our decisions to everyone all the time we would never get anything accomplished and so the staff was, I think, in a way, untrusting of this new regime that was coming in. And I think they felt like it was just going to be more of the same. Mm-hmm. And Piedmont is a small restaurant. And so the family aspect of it internally, I think, caused that to hurt a lot more. Yeah. So there was all this like, trust issues that I had to work on. <laughs> At the same time, trying to work on an executive chef and help build him and give him confidence to do what he wanted to do and do it in a successful way because he certainly in cooking in some great kitchens had learned a lot of technique and learned a lot of ideas, but in how to get it to customers, I don't think that that's something that you ever really work on in restaurants because that's always in a way, the general manager and the executive chef doing that together. And then there was this whole level of like running the business, of like so much debt that had to be paid off and rebuilding trust with purveyors. And so Ben and I always talk about that. I don't think we had any idea how deep the rabbit hole truly was (laughs) when we got here. Right. And when we did get here, it was this like, well, how do you eat an elephant? Mm -hmm. Well, you're going to have to eat it one bite at a time. Right. Um, and so it was just very slow calculating moves. The first thing we did was, um, in the first week of July, we shut down. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a traditional time to shut down for the restaurant. So we shut down, um, took everything out of the building, painted it and wanted to bring this like new idea, keep a lot of things similar, but at the same time change enough to like signify that something was different. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget the first day we came back to work is that even the person who had been here since almost day one at Piedmont seven years ago walked in and you could immediately see that that person was breathing a touch easier and was like, it even feels happier in here. And I was like, thank God we've gotten decision one right. Right. And then since then. So when you say
3: that
0: you and your partner were sitting here eating when you, the, the first time you came to Durham and you said, it's cute. I'm not even seeing what you saw at that point. Oh, no, not yeah. at all.
1: Like, I think Piedmont conceptually fell into, like, the old, like, 19... Late 1990s, early 2000s, like, restaurant-making trend of, like... Paint, A lot of
0: unnecessary exposed brick. Painting
1: your restaurant red makes people hungry. <laughs> and, and when I sat down with an interior designer before we painted, she goes, Do you believe that red makes people more hungry? And I thought about it. I was like, oh, all the restaurants I've worked in have red in the dining yeah. room. And I was like, no, let's change that.
0: I was like, and what was her? Was she trying to tell you? Was she trying to convey the message that no, no it doesn't? I
1: no, I think she was open to whatever we were open to. Right. We really brought her on in like a consulting way, um, just to say like, excuse me, like this is what we were thinking about doing, like, design-wise. How do we do this right? Like, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like, you know, we had looked at, like, some Home Depot paint chips. And she was like, okay, no, we actually have to, like, go to real paint companies and, like, get real painters. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, but she really kind of, like, just helped tweak what we were trying to do. Yeah. And then I think for, you know, the year and a half since, we have been making very slow very calculated moves that in a way have become, we've gotten more changes right than we've gotten wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, We have certainly tried to do things that didn't work out. Sure. Um, And, you know, we tried to look at them. We tried to at the same time expand what we're doing here. When we got here initially, Piedmont was open for six services. So six dinners closed on Tuesday nights. And I thought that was really weird. And Ben thought that was really odd. And then talking to the owners, they were like, yeah, we come and like try to eat here on Tuesdays all the time and completely forget that we're closed on Tuesdays. And I was like, if my owners are coming to eat here on Tuesday nights and they don't know we're closed on Tuesdays, why are we closed on Tuesdays? Right. So that was like one of the first things we did is open for Tuesday. And immediately I just started laughing we were busier on tuesday nights than we were on monday and on monday piedmont could benefit from how many restaurants in the downtown durham region being closed on monday night mm-hmm. and it was just hilarious that on a night we were traditionally closed we were open and more people came than normal
3: yeah
0: um but when we started here it was bleak mm-hmm. but that you know making that change to open on Tuesdays. Um you know, I know that first Tuesday, you don't immediately feel like, uh, oh, nailed it, everything we're doing is right. But it had to feel pretty good that first Tuesday to realize that you are busier on a night that you have competition than on a night when you are, you know, the only game in town sometimes.
1: It did. It, it, it felt really good. Um, you know, there there were, and there still are, a lot of things that just feel really great. Um, you know, the, for the first eight months we had a lot of people walk in the dining room who go i used to eat here all the time and then it got awful yeah and i'm just like oh
0: okay how about you sit down and i'm going to try to make you happy <laughs> it sounds like you had a lot of assholes walking into the dining room at that
1: no point. i it, it's back to that cheating girlfriend sure i mean would you be the mo- like the warmest I mean, I don't tend to go back to restaurants where I have bad experiences. Yeah, me neither. Uh, Like, I have a bad experience and I don't go back. Right. And, you know, John taught me that if you're lucky enough to have someone come in and have to give you the opportunity to wait on them, to Mm -hmm. feed them, that is a humble opportunity. Right. And you need to take it for everything it is. And it wasn't that I had to sit there and be like, oh, well, we're not those people like you just can't wait to see what we're gonna do. We're gonna like just amaze you. It was much more about, well, I'm very sorry that happened. Let's get you seated. Let's get you calm. Let's get you some food and hopefully you'll like what we do. Yeah. And in the beginning we had a lot of people who were like, wow, now the question is, is can you stay that good? Right. And I think that was the other thing is that Piedmont had changed. Some people had started to like it, and then it would change again really quick. Yeah. And a moving target is hard to, like, grab onto. Yeah. And so that was one thing that we have preached since we got here is stability. Yeah. Um, You know, hospitality and stability are two very key important things in this business. Um, And at the same time, you know, Ben is trying to step up his game. And, And from, you know, we every once in a while we'll break out the like first week menus we had together and they're kind of hilarious mm. and we just kind of giggle. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he has matured in what he is doing in the kitchen. Our staff has become a lot less volatile in it's turnover. We've gotten a good group of people. We have benefited from also, you know, I think that within the industry, there's always this conversation behind the restaurants of like, oh, I would never work there. Their management's crazy, they don't make any money, it's an awful environment, the tip out is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Or, I really wanna work there, they care about their people, there's a good environment, there's an education that's constantly happening. And I was amazed about when I started looking for people, one, the heart adjustment was what we talked about earlier, which I didn't get the mercenaries. Yeah. There are no mercenaries to be had in this area. Right. Um, There's not a lot. And I was like, there's got to be like the old Magnolia grill crew, the like where are the people who are leaving, you know, Nana's or Foursquare or Watts or like, where are all these people? And I realized that we're still so fresh Mm -hmm. in the growth of our restaurant seen here it is so vibrant sure but it is so young in a way Mm -hmm. um and i think a lot of people who have been around from durham for years will hate me for saying that um the restaurant scene here and southern living's tastiest town in the south is certainly a huge amount of pride for this area and it should be but at the same time it is we are just at the beginning of an exponential growth of what our culinary scene can truly be. Right, And I don't think you have to look much further than downtown Durham to see that with, you know, Cookery and Toast opening Dashi with Scott Howell and Nana Steak and Bar Virgil with Andrea Roosin opening a restaurant in the Durham Hotel. The 21C Hotel is going to have a new restaurant. Revolution is still, you know, cranking it out over on Main Street. Piedmont's getting serious. Rue Claire is still here. Mateo is getting, you know, beard nominated. These things are the beginning of a huge movement. Mm -hmm. And now you start to see this move of restaurants into the South, Primal, Harvest 18, Mm -hmm. you're starting to see the locally owned and operated restaurants invading what has been a stronghold of chains and what's interesting about the South Point area, because I live there, is everyone I talk to down there doesn't live in Durham. <laughs> everyone that works down there lives in Raleigh. Yeah. And they just shoot down 40, and they're like, because they're like, oh, you run a restaurant? What restaurant? Piedmont. It's in downtown Durham. Oh, I don't eat in downtown Durham. I'm, I live in Raleigh. Right. And I've also been amazed that, like, the triangle is not that.
0: It's not as connected as you are led to believe. No. Yeah. Not at all. All. Although I will say this, I live in Raleigh, and when my wife and I moved here, she, she matched at Chapel Hill. So, you know, being uh, me fresh out of college and her fresh out of medical school, we could not afford to live in Chapel Hill. So we lived, sorry, we lived in, um, we lived around South Point as well at that time. And now we live over in Raleigh, and it is amazing how much more I explore uh, the culinary offerings of downtown Durham now than I did even when I lived here and I'll be honest the first time I'd ever heard of Piedmont um, was uh, because I came down for the food truck rodeo Mm -hmm. at uh, at Central Park and you know saw the restaurant saw the first time I came down for a food truck rodeo there was one menu hanging in the window the next time there was a different one and you know that that I found incredibly uh, interesting and I you know I sort of I sort of regret not exploring down here more when it wasn't a 40-minute drive
1: well I think that you know, it's, in a way, the lack of interconnectivity between the cities or the boroughs or whatever you want to call them is, in a way, understandable. Mm-hmm. You know, in an environment like New Orleans, where you have New Orleans, right, and then you have Slidell, Mandeville, Covington, Metairie, Kenner, Laplace... And then you have like Araby, St. Bernard and the rest of that. And then down you have Homa. There's this move to the center, the move to the big city. Right. And I think that for a, the way that makes the triangle very interesting is that each community is good at something and has something internally good about it. Yeah. Not that those areas in New Orleans don't, but they were never operating at the level of the host,
3: right. Well, and also, so you, you know,
1: to seek good, you had to move in. Versus here, you can bounce to Raleigh and have really awesome food mm-hmm. that's at the caliber that you're eating in Chapel Hill. That's right. the caliber you're eating in Durham. That's the caliber you're eating in Cary, um, or it, Farrington, or you know. And that's what makes it so hard sometimes. Yeah,
0: you know, I mean, which it, way do you go? New Orleans, and and you mentioned that you lived in in Vestavia, so in Birmingham too. Um, you know, both of those areas, when you talk about the suburbs, the big city, the, the downtown of the big city, is, that's the cool place to be. That's the cool place to, for your band to play, for you to open a restaurant, whatever. And in, in the triangle, you know, having lived on two opposite sides of it, I have never, when I felt here and now that I live there, I've never felt like Raleigh is the cool place where the culture happens. It's always been, in my mind, it's always been to the west. It's always been Durham, Chapel Hill, and Carborough.
1: But I, I, in a way, I think that that is much more a, a product of what we see. And the, the famous example is Austin. Right. Is the death of, with segregation and then internally with integration, the death of the south, the southeastern downtown metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. It was something that Atlanta had to fix before the Olympics. It was something that Austin spent hundreds of millions of dollars in to go into debt to make Austin what it is now in the downtown scene. Yeah. It was something that Baton Rouge, when I got there, Baton Rouge, downtown Baton Rouge was similar to downtown Durham 10 years ago. You didn't go there. If you went there, you were looking for trouble. (laughs) Right. Or Tabby's Blues Box. Uh Uh-huh. And that was the only reason you went downstairs, like downtown, was for like 25-cent beer and blues. Yeah. And even then, you it was dangerous. And so I think that like, now you're starting to see downtown areas starting to be more revitalized, which is then now bringing more people down here. Mm-hmm. You know, the two, ho- the, well, three hotels in downtown Durham, the multiple restaurants in downtown Durham, what Scott Crawford is about to do at Standard Foods, in downtown Raleigh. And then you look at what Ashley has done in downtown Raleigh and Bitamanda in downtown Raleigh. And so you're starting to see this like, you know, downtown Chapel Hill will always be downtown Chapel Hill because it benefits from like the Franklin Street atmosphere attached to UNC. Like, I don't think there'll ever be a day where we're like, we're very worried about Franklin Street (laughs) and its ability to be like a prime real estate opportunity. But downtown Durham suffered from that problem. Mm -hmm. Downtown Raleigh suffers from that problem. And when you can create these great restaurants on the periphery, Heron's at the Umstead, the Farrington House out at Farrington Village, you don't have that like, oh, I got to get to the downtown area. That's where the cool stuff is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you start to see that starting to change. And like what's going on down at Gear Street and Foster with Gear Street, Cocoa Cinnamon, The Pit, Full Steam. Parts and Labor and Motor Co. It was <laughs> it, it. It's amazing to see what you're seeing happen in these communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first people to really be in downtown Durham was Rue Claire,
3: yeah. and Piedmont. Yeah,
0: that's you know the the first uh, the first person that sat down with me for this podcast was Ken Yowl, who owns Calavella and uh, Oak City Meatball Shop in downtown Raleigh, and talked about where he when he first opened Calavella. Even his landlord was telling him not a lot of people come down here do you re- is this really the space you want and because you know when he first opened you kind of had to know not only a you were in the mood for empanadas but b you particularly wanted to go to Calavella to to be there like now that that's become such a popular place and now the the what will be the regulars the the locals are coming in because you know now those apartments aren't such a bad place to rent anymore right yeah
1: and 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 I mean, and that is what has made Birmingham, Baton Rouge, um, the revitalization of New Orleans post-Katrina, Atlanta, I think, you know, Charleston, similarly to New Orleans, is always going to have Mm -hmm. its its downtown area and its feeling. It doesn't, but, you know, Raleigh and Durham, when you're having to change the industry which made this region what it is, Mm -hmm. like, this is no longer a... Tobacco downtown area. Right, that's why we're having to change all the warehouses and like into the American Tobacco campus mm-hmm. or Brightleaf Square or what they're now doing with, you know, the Liggett and Myers building is having <laughs> yeah. to like change over. Um,
0: yeah, I think my my wife we met a friend of hers from college who was at Duke for a conference uh, about a year ago maybe two years ago, but the Liggett and Myers building still has the, you know, big sign that says glorious tobacco on it. Yeah. It's just a, just a major change in uh, not only what these buildings are useful for, but also just, you know, the fact that that building still had a sign that glorious tobacco tells you it probably has not been in prime use for quite some time. Just getting people thinking about going back to that area.
1: And, and, you know, and it's certainly something that I talk about all the time is that, the Triangle benefits so much from itself yeah, um, and bringing people here. But at the same time, it has such a basal level of growth because every year you have two huge hospitals that are bringing in. Hundreds of new bodies. You know, the majority of residents at UNC and Duke are not from UNC and Duke. They're from all over the country having to move in. Mm -hmm. They're having to buy houses. They're having to learn a neighborhood. And that was where I found a lot of people that I connected with here was this idea of like, oh, you're new here too? Yeah. Oh, we're real new here. Where are you from? Rhode Island. This is nothing like Rhode Island. Yeah, it ain't nothing like New Orleans either, baby. Right. Like, (laughs) <laughs> let's let's hang out together and, and that itself i think is a huge market to like latch onto that yeah. i think sometimes we forget about but then you start seeing you know RTP Dpac um the convention center in raleigh and you're you start to see like these other draws mm-hmm. and it's like why we've got to start accessing what is out there to really succeed yeah And, you know, Piedmont's part of that is such a small, 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 small part of that. But we can only control what we do here. And in the year and a half we've been here, we went from somewhere where it was like, oh, God, the rabbit hole is so much deeper than we thought it was, to now it's not, oh, well, we had a good night and a whole week of bad nights. It's now having, you know, an off night and a whole string mm-hmm. of good nights and then using that as a learning opportunity and at the same time, always getting better. Um, and, you know, the the bad reviews are knock on wood a lot less than they used to be. And people seem to be enjoying what's going on here. And, and I couldn't be more thankful to the community for their continued support. And at the same time, we're still a really young crew. Yeah. Um, you know, Ben is... 30. He he just turned 33 Mm -hmm. and, and I'm 29. And, and at the same time we're sitting here trying to run a, you know, million dollar revenue a year business when we're kind of learning on the job, right? You know, going back to the interview, he had never done this as an executive and I had never done this as a GM. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, the, the, part of my job that I have the most experience in is being the wine director. So that just like, at this point after doing that at Restaurant August, this just kind of happens. Right. Um, and like every once in a while, I look at the wine list, which we started at 40 bottles and now we're at almost 390. Wow. And I'm like, oh, oops. 390
0: unique bottles, right?
1: 390 labels. Yeah. Um, somewhere in there, there's probably about, I would say 600, 700 bottles in inventory here. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that what I learned from Fleming's and the wine bar and August were all what, wine complements what's going on in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And it really is that last touch that can make something amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think that so much more is that the wine drinking culture in my generation has started to happen so much younger. Yeah, absolutely. People are starting to learn so much more about wine at such a younger. And I and, and, and I think that that happens for a number of reasons. Like wine didn't move at the price that bourbon moved. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, everyone's had a bad tequila, vodka, indoor gin experience. And so we get, like, not drinking that anymore. Yeah. So... Now it's about creating like this experience with wine to round out the culinary experience in the dining room. And then suddenly you start to really give people an experience that they can't get somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the same time it provides you this opportunity to tell a story. Um, and that's been a lot of the wine list here in building. It has been like winemakers I've now known since my days at August. Um, who are friends of mine Sure. and saying like, Hey, you don't sell stuff in the state of North Carolina, but can you start, can we get some of your juice? We'd really like to do something cool with it. And then suddenly on a night where someone's like, I'm looking for a really cool central coast pinot. I'm like, great. You need to drink this one. We're the only restaurant in the entire state that has it. Um, and like, they're like, well, is it really that good? I'm like, again, you can't get it anywhere else. It is quite delicious. And, and I think when you provide people an opportunity to have an experience that is unique, that they may get something similar to it, but mm. it's not the exact thing and they can only come to one place. That's when you start to rebuild trust. Yeah. Um, and that's when people start to come back. But we just hopefully keep bringing more people in and it seems to be the trend and we seem to be excited about the support of the community and thankful and... We keep working our hardest to do this yeah, as best
0: as we know how. Did you rehearse that whole story? Because we ju- literally just hit the hour mark. <laughs>
1: no, not at all, actually. It's, it's the benefit of being a speech and a debate coach right. still to this day that I, I can crystallize really well if I need to.
0: Um, well, I mean, this has been a lot of fun, man.
1: Uh, no, a, a, it's, it's not a lot that I get to talk to someone who's been around the same areas I have. Right. I can't believe I have set, um, I'm assuming when you say you went to school in Tuscaloosa. Alabama, no, yeah. Yeah, and I can't believe I've sat at the table with a University of Alabama <laughs> grad uh, a, a, and been polite for I a whole hour. I always tell
0: people the only visiting stadium that I've ever actually feared for my life in it was Baton Rouge. Um, it's the only place I've been to where I saw two different people in two different groups uh, take dumps on opposing fans' tailgates.
1: Mm. My, I never, I never felt that way at Bryant-Denny. I, um, the, Ole Miss. I got out of a bus one time to go to (laughs) the 2003 Ole Miss game, which decided the SEC West champion, and Eli Eli. Manning was in his senior year. That's where Cutcliffe was because Ole Miss had to bring in Cutcliffe to keep Manning to come to not lose him. And I got out, and like a six-year-old flicked me off and went go to hell. And I was like, Oh my lord, this place is serious. And then like a sixty-year-old grandma flicked me off and said go to hell too. And I have forever since hated Ole Miss fans. Yeah, uh, with the passion of a thousand sons.
0: Last year, uh, one of my uh, one of my dear friends got married down in um, in Orlando. So my wife and I took our kids like a week before, and we did the whole Disney thing with them. And uh, it was the night, they got married on a Sunday morning, the night before was the Alabama LSU game uh, in 13. Um, and so we're walking around Epcot and I'm wearing my you know Alabama shirt that day. And as I walk out of the bathrooms, I'm walking out of a stall to wash my hands. There is a dad and his kid and they're both wearing purple. You know, the dad's wearing an LSU hat. And uh, the dad says, look, Jeff, he's an Alabama fan. What do we say? And the kid looks. Did at you me get and goes, tiger? Did you get tiger baited in a bathroom at oh, no, Epcot? No. The oh. kid looks at me and he
1: goes, "Up yours!" <laughs> I don't know that fan, and I am not responsible for their behavior.
0: You had a very similar reaction that the kid's dad had to that same moment. <laughs>
1: all things are taught by our parents.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Grover, this has been a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. For what
2: will you wear? Will the band be playing? What will the people be saying? Does your father lie there? Does your mother pray? At the foot of Canal Street.
0: And that is this week's episode of Spooning with Dimitri. Thank you so much for uh, listening. By the way, if you are uh, listening on iTunes, uh, please subscribe and give us a rating. That's going to help us uh, climb the uh, charts there. And next week we will talk to Francois Kirchhoff. He owns and uh, operates the Belgian Waffology food truck. This, uh, of, of every food truck, uh, this is my go-to ender at every food truck rodeo because in terms of sweet treats, you are not going to do better than uh, than his Belgian waffles. So a big thank you to Crawford Lavoie, a big thank you to everybody who uh, listened, and uh, I, I guess that's it. All right, thanks for listening to Raleigh Co. Radio. We'll talk to you next week.
2: Streetcar has seen its day. When all is gone, the plantations trim a the vuvuzela. I'll be swinging to that music on higher ground where pops is blowing. Walk on, Upward gable making sacred sounds. I'll see you there. So what will Saying, the Does your father lie there? Does your mother pray? I'm gonna put on my golden crown at the foot of Canal Street. Now, see you there. At the foot of Canal Street. What will they wear? At the foot of Canal Street. Will the band be playing? At the foot what will the people be saying? Does your father lie there? Does your mother pray? I'm gonna lay all my burdens down I'm gonna put on my golden crown I'll be moving up to higher ground At the foot of Canal Street